This is Linux Unplugged, episode 30 for March 4th, 2014. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that knows this call is being monitored. My name is Chris. My name is Matt. Hey there, Matt. We've got a great show coming up this week. So uh, last week, in episode 29, we talked about ourselves a lot. We talked about the new how-to Linux show, uh, and which, oh my gosh, um, <laughs> we got like 40 to 50 emails just on that topic alone. It's blowing my mind, and everybody has a great idea, so many really good ones. Uh, and I, but I just thought like we couldn't go through that again, because this week... I want to help somebody uh, troubleshoot some battery life problems with their laptop. They've been running Arch for a long time. They switched to OpenSUSE, and all of a sudden, way better battery life. And they're trying to figure out why that might be. So we'll kick that topic around with our mumble room, and I know you've got some battery tips Mm -hmm. that you might be able to pass along. And later in the show, we're going to chat with some of the developers from the Tox project. Now, uh, Tox is a new up-and-coming open-source project to essentially replace Skype, to have a secure peer-to-peer Skype replacement. And there's a lot of secure messaging programs that are coming online in 2014, obviously as a reaction to the leaks from Edward Snowden. And I think it's going to be really fascinating to watch these as they develop, and uh, particularly because of my focus on the desktop, I've been drawn to ones that are starting with a desktop application. A lot of the ones you've seen, uh, you're seeing kind of come out of the response to Edward Snowden are Mobile applications, which is fine. I want to see a mobile app too, but I'd also really like to have a desktop component. And Tox is starting there. So we're going to talk with them in a little bit uh, and ask some questions that uh, our audience has submitted in. And then uh, we've got some mail sack we're going to get to towards the end of the show too. So big show today, Matt. Big show. It might be a really kind of tight show depending on how how long. It could be like a big show in terms of what we talk about, but a shorter show in terms of length. You never know. I shouldn't say that though. I probably would curse us. (laughs) <laughs> so uh, let's start with the topic that I wanted to uh, bounce around. This is this this uh, a problem that uh, Gajero wrote in about. He says, OpenSUSE has better battery life than Arch on the same rig. Can you guys help me figure this out? And he starts out with, uh, you know, he says, hey, guys, I'm in love with my Arch Linux install. Well, actually, it was Integros. Have you made the switch with you guys during the Arch challenge? But I recently gave OpenSUSE a spin, and while it has some things I really like, I'm ready to switch back to my Arch install. However... I'm finding it very difficult for one reason. Battery life. Even with similar power management rules running KD on both distros, the battery life on OpenSUSE has been insanely better. The trade seems to be that OpenSUSE is a lot slower. I can't figure out what the actual difference really is, though. I've been digging in the Arch Wiki for suggestions, but with school in full swing, I've got to be, I've, I've been unable to find time to figure out a solution, and I've grown very comfortable with not having to hunt for outlets everywhere I go. As, um, as I've said, aside from auto-dimming the screen and, and auto-suspend settings, I can't really figure out where OpenSUSE is getting the dramatic, dramatically better battery life, but Arch has proven to make my lap be very power-thirsty over multiple installations, even with an Arch proper installation. Your loyal JB viewer, Conjero. Well, so my experience between the two distributions is it seems like OpenSUSE definitely has some moderate uh, configuration stuff done for you. I wouldn't go as far as to say they did laptop mode tools or something like that, but they definitely have something going on. On the Arch side of the fence, laptop mode tools will do do you no good because it's a completely different kind of setup. And out of the box, it's not designed to give you any power savings. It's designed to just run. Um, If you go to the Arch wiki and go to the power savings uh, portion of it, um, all the tips you need for a laptop are in there. And if you enable every single thing, including down from uh, UDEV all the way up to uh, the kernel modules and whatnot, and actually look at all those different things, enable them, right back mode, the whole package, you will indeed see significant improvement. So I I this this concept of battery life being different between distros is interesting to me because mm-hmm. I don't, aside from driver versions and kernel versions, it seems like things should be pretty normalized. Well, uh, and I've yeah. always found the newer kernels recently have provided better battery life. Early three kernels had uh, power mm-hmm. regressions, but I've, seen, I, like, I've always noticed that when I've upgraded my kernel to the latest kernel, 
I've usually seen an improvement in in some component that results in better results in some better battery life. Like uh, so maybe it's better uh, support for the Intel graphics, or maybe it's a better right. Wi-Fi driver, and that results in less broadcast usage, or whatever it is. It right. always seems like the newer kernel has always been what solves it. I've never really ex- like specifically tested this thing. You know, like put Ubuntu on a machine, put SUSE on a machine, and then put Arch on a machine and timed the difference. Right. So basically my experiences are based on if I install PowerTop and I run it on a default Arch installation, you're going to be – and you go over to tunables. It's just bad up and down. That's just what you're going to see. Bad, 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 bad. Um, what you want to see is lots of good. And if you want to do that, that's why I would actually recommend the power saving se- section for that because on now on OpenSUSE, I recall there was some bad, some good. Now, I noticed there was more good enabled on, in PowerTop than there was so- – Oh yeah, so PowerTop's a great tool. To, maybe you should run PowerTop yeah. on both installations. So, uh, local room, kind of you guys have any ideas on what he um, could check to see why OpenSUSE is getting such better battery life than Arch? Yes, try CPU power because I know uh, CPU power behaves pretty good with System D. Yeah, you think maybe there's like a moderator set? Uh, I'm pretty sure because I know in the kernel Arch has a performance mode enabled by default too. Mm-hmm. That's right. So oh, interesting. Yeah, so if you if you mod pro the uh, on demand driver for CPU uh, power, whatever it's called, okay. it'll be pretty good after that. Yeah, CPU frex another thing to check to see if like maybe actually maybe... CPU frex is not so good because I think that's been depreciated. Well, isn't it? Oh, is CPU frex not just a tool to read what your current frequency is? Because I'm wondering if maybe there is more aggressive frequency scaling maybe under OpenSUSE. Probably. Yeah, there's a number. I, I've never really di- di- um, driven too deep into OpenSUSE specifically, but I do know that they have I some like, stuff enabled by default. I'd like I know to play with this some more, I think. Yeah. I think yeah. I would like to try this out. I think this would be an interesting – this almost could be an interesting roundup. Is there the ultimate battery-saving distro? Because, you know, uh, so I'm, on Sunday I'm going to review this uh, yeah. uh, a C720 Chromebook here, and uh, <laughs> just – I can't even. Oh, you will not want to do it without power without using the power. Well, no, I can't. Portion. Oh, you know what's yeah. crazy? It'd be painful to use otherwise. No, I, it's not. I mean, so mm. I think I could get maybe another hour. I don't know. I should try it to be honest. I will try like, it before uh, the review. I mean, yeah, but, uh, I mean, on my netbook, I can get I can squeeze like an hour and a half to two hours difference. Really? But, oh yeah. I mean, it's a big deal, but you got to go through every single thing on that power saving. Oh, there. okay. So CPU Freck was uh, renamed to CPU Power. And uh, that's just one piece. So I'm getting like. I don't know. I, I'm going to time it for the actual review right now, but I think I'm getting like seven hours of battery life with the C720 running oh, nice. Arch. Um, so I'm going to I'll install. I'll go through that Arch wiki that you yeah. you mentioned, and I'll dig through that and see if if I do some of those tweaks, if I can even bring that up a little more. And uh, and then I'll time it. I'll try. I'll try to get like some use case timing done in time for last on Sunday. But I. I I find this whole concept, maybe once I get this review done, maybe I should load OpenSUSE on there and see if there's a big difference. And if there is, then I might try it with other distros too. Uh, TLP is also cool, as uh, um, someone in the chat room actually just mentioned just now. Um, That's definitely good. But I'm really, really careful of it because it's one of those things to where you can just end up breaking something and then you have to go back and figure out what you broke. I also like like the idea of checking uh, like uh, IOTOP. Uh, and using IOTOP to see what's hitting your disk because mm-hmm. it could be possible, like by default, maybe the KDE, maybe some search indexer like the, the KDE search right. indexer is, I'm sorry, the Plasma desktop search indexer is set to a more moderate, uh, aggressive level. Or, or who knows, right? I mean, I'm just throwing things out there, but maybe. Sure. So IOTOP would reveal that if something was hitting your disk a lot. True. That's very true. Um, if you have battery experiences uh, and you want to send them in, please do, but include. Uh, if you're using an SSD, your generation of processor and your GPU and all and relevant like screen size info and things like that, so that way we can take that into consideration when we're talking about this stuff. Ish. So we talked something uh, all really. I mean, ninety nine point nine percent of our feedback was about the how to show. It was so many ideas that it's kind of blowing my mind and it's wow. freaking me out a little bit because there's a lot of ideas that completely are in contradiction of what the next email says. And so it's got me a little worried that so many people are kind of disagreeing with each other without realizing it. Like, well, I get an idea where somebody will say, take a topic and really spend some time with it and, and make three or four episodes out of that single topic. And then the next email will say, only one episode, make it as long as you need to get to one topic. Don't stretch it out. I won't watch it if you do that. <laughs> like all this different or one that my favorite, which would be awesome if we had a staff of 40. My favorite suggestion was... Um, do an intro video that sets up the problem. Like mm-hmm. here on How to Linux today, we're going to show you how to do X. 
and then kind of talk about a little bit, then that stops. And that's like a five minute video. And then have like 20 or 30 sub videos that then the person would click on that would be how to do it in Ubuntu, how to do it in Arch, how to do it in OpenSUSE, how to do it in CentOS, how to do it in Debian, how to do it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I could see how that could be really handy for the Linux community. But yeah, man, it has a lot of. Yeah. Can you imagine from the production standpoint? Oh, from a production, <laughs> it'd be a nightmare. But and not, I mean, it's like it's one of those things where it's like from an archival point of view, it's awesome. Uh, from a show point of view, it'd be a nightmare. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I, you know, I think what I can tell you is, um, it would be really interesting to see if maybe the community could come in and and a few people suggested this. Maybe the community could come in and provide the documentation. For the distro they love that we didn't cover, and so that starts to that's got my my wheels turning on how we could build an interactive community website that would provide a written documentation version of what we talked about. We would have one official probably that would match the show, and yeah. then maybe we could have multiple versions for different distributions that the community contribute, and maybe we'd have to have like three or four or five or six or seven original you know hand selected contributors at first to make sure it was good and then kind of grow it from there but it's it's something you know it's a lot of feedback we're taking in um i'm going to try to um send out the uh the official like hey we'd, we'd like you to be our producer uh email um this week so we're going to have that finally done i hope and we uh between that and the new studio we got a lot on our plate right now but i i feel like we're there's a lot of people out there that want this. But the other yes. topic we talked about last week, besides that, that did get one response, is the one here from Alex, and that was about Outlook's inertia. And we talked a little bit about the exchange problem that Linux switchers face. He says, uh, thank you for the wonderful shows. I got to start it with Jupiter Broadcasting back in the stoked days. Recently oh, wow. came back after finding the BSD Now and then TechSnap and Last and Unplugged and Code Radio, et cetera, et cetera. He said, listening to Linux Unplugged 29... There was a comment made about needing exchange or mappy compatibility or essentially Outlook. As, some, as someone who has been trying to migrate the small business he supports over to Linux, the big issue I see is that open source groupware packages, both server and client side, really do not measure up to the standard that is exchange and Outlook. For all of its warts, Microsoft has gotten groupware mostly right. When you have requirements that mail be hosted internally and you need groupware and mobile sync, the choice currently is exchange. Zimbra keeps getting passed around like a hot potato. I have used <laughs> I have used most of my two free months on dig- of DigitalOcean trying out Zimbra uh, with open LDAP. I've got it working and others don't seem to be but others don't seem to enjoy all the functionality yet. Any suggestions would be appreciated. Hmm. Alex. Oh man. So, you know, um what do you like do you have like a calendar contact sync system you use? Are you using like Google Map? What are you using? Boy, right now I use a little bit of Google. Um that's pretty much where I've fallen into at this point. Uh for one of my gigs, I have to live in a Microsoft space and so we use uh use Exchange and anyone that tells me it's flawless has not spent much time with Exchange in my opinion. <laughs> um it, it's it's painful. Uh and, you know, that being said, it is less painful than a lot of the uh open source groupware solutions, as was pointed out. And so I agree with that. I mean, that's actually accurate. But none of them are really that good. Um, Google, honestly, while it's missing some functionality that I would like to see, I'd say it's probably the least annoying. They're all annoying, but I'd say it's the least annoying experience that I've ever dealt with. The I nice guess. thing about Google is you don't have to deal with the back end if you don't want to. Right. Yeah. Uh, and and as long as you understand that you're Stuff's yeah. open to whatever, but yeah. it is anyway. So Yeah. yeah. Gosh, that's the part. I, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of that part, to be honest. Yeah. But um, – I think I think you know uh, I like I like Zimbra. I just think what the problem is is Exchange. So you sort of create a um, workflow around Outlook and Exchange, mm-hmm. and when you move to one of these other options like Zimbra or or any of the other ones that are out there, it's it's a different workflow. And if you started on that, right. it would be fine. But because you've trained, you know, those mental pathways in your brain are laid down for the way that it's sort of it's sort of like why I sometimes have a little bit easier time using GNOME is because honestly, I've I I learned a lot of things the GNOME way. And so this just way in my mind, like that's just the way the neural pathways are is like the, the, the electrons fire faster down those paths. And it's the same thing for Outlook. If you've learned how the whole Outlook calendar system works. And I I know people out there like depend on the rich text formatting of Outlook and all this kind of junk that Outlook does. But to them, it's it's essential. It's an essential part of the job. And sometimes these replacements do it differently. Sometimes they don't offer something at all. 
So a lot of times people say they don't size up. In reality, it's just different workflow, I think. Yeah, I'd say workflow and muscle memory in general, I think, is a real tough one to get past, um, whether regardless of what your skill set may happen to be. I mean, muscle memory kind of rules the day. So Colab is a great choice. Chatroom is right now uh, talking hmm. about Colab and uh, you can find them at Colab.org. It's a free software initiative building a unified communications and collaboration system that you can install on your own server. Um, and it offers a lot of the functionality that we talk about a lot that Zimbra also offers. Um, and Colab's on my on my short list of like the three that I'm going to be considering installing um, for Jupiter Broadcasting this year. This is one of the goals. I, I don't know if I'm going to get to it um, because right now um, this is one of those things where Google's doing a good enough job. Right. And I don't exactly. feel super pressured to replace them. But even though I know there's a privacy problem there and uh, and and a lot of other issues there as well, tracking and all that kind of stuff. Sure. Uh, but because it's my work email. It's not like it's not like I have like some sort of, you know, a dirty exchange with uh, some bankster in there or something like that. that I don't <laughs> right. want to get caught. Right. I mean, it's not like it's just, just it's my work email. And most of the email that's in there gets read on air anyways. Eventually, <laughs> this is true. This is very true. So I'm not super compelled to do it, but I, I am looking into my options and Zimbra and Colab are on my short list. So I, you know, I I, I actually really uh, thank Alex for sending that into us just so I can kind of yeah. get his thoughts on it, because, you know, to tell you the truth. I'd probably roll it out on a DigitalOcean VPS too, which means I should probably stop right here and thank DigitalOcean this week for sponsoring <laughs> Linux Unplugged. DigitalOcean is a sponsor of the Linux Unplugged program. And as you've heard, a lot of our audience is finding really awesome ways to try out DigitalOcean. Now, you're not familiar with DigitalOcean? Well, I'll tell you right now. DigitalOcean is simple cloud hosting dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up your own cloud server. You get root access to this bad mamma jamma and users can create a cloud server in 55 seconds. Although I bet Alex... I bet Alex was in the 40s somewhere, although he didn't say in his email. Pricing plans start around $5 per month. That gets you 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD. Yes, an SSD makes a difference on a VPS, trust me. One CPU and a terabyte of transfer. A terabyte of transfer. Like if you're using this for email or like Yassi Search or a Pastebin repository or a BitTorrent sync server, a terabyte of transfer is going to get you a really far, a long ways. Also, DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Amsterdam, and now Singapore. They have a simple, intuitive interface. But if you want more power, you want to automate some stuff, you can also implement your own set of scripts and things like that using their straightforward API. For example... You might want to utilize their API to automate image backups of your VPS systems. And they have a system to let you do that. But here's the best part. You can get a $10 credit to try out. They have a $5 rig. That's the one I told you about. That's $5 rig. You try out their $10 credit, you're going to be able to use it for two months for free if you use the promo code Linux Unplugged March. Brand new month. Ocean is back because you guys have been loving them. We've gotten a lot of people to try it out. And you oh, can awesome. go over there right now. Use the promo code Linux Unplugged March. You get one of these bad mamma jammas for two months. You get tier one bandwidth connected to those SSD hard drives and backed by KVM virtualization. It's a really good system. They also have hourly pricing if you just need to test out your app. They also have images that are set up and ready to go with LAMP stacks or Docker. Uh, they support Arch, Fedora, Ubuntu, all of the stuff, uh, CentOS, you know, all that, uh, all of it. They have uh, two-factor authentication, backups and snapshots, all that good stuff. So go over to DigitalOcean.com, use the promo code Linux Unplugged March to get $10 credits. You can try it out for two months. And I think you'll see why I've been talking about them for a while now. And also a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring Linux Unplugged for the month of March. You guys are awesome. Love it. All right, Matt. So I want to welcome uh, two developers from the Talks Project onto the show. Uh, Joining us on Mumble right now, we have STQ and... I run Gen 2. So I know uh, Talk started up as sort of a discussion thread, I, and I, I'm told, I, I think it started on 4chan, um, and now here we are, we're what, seven, eight months down the road, it's become a very active project. Uh, so where, where is that from where it started versus well, where it's at today? Well, Talk started as, um, well, I actually, I had this idea, this very basic idea, and then, well, uh, I wasn't on a a thread on a G on a <laughs> oh. well, that was speaking about uh, how Skype is uh, well private yeah. privacy issues yeah. with Skype. Yeah. So well, I had just well, I just decided okay, hey, let's. Uh, I was actually a bit uh, maybe drunk at the moment or something, and I said <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, let's uh, 
let's make a, a Skype replacement. So that's that's how it started. And then, well, I was very impressed by the positive response from uh, everyone. So I said, okay, let's let's start writing code. Let's let's start planning stuff and uh, well I that's how talk started <laughs> so it started kind of as a crazy idea that maybe you after you thought about it for a little bit realized this could be a good idea have you worked on this kind of stuff before uh, or something like this before well uh, I played around with some uh, like BitTorrent DHD I, I did a couple of uh, scripts to uh, like I once made a, a script to uh find out which uh, to try to track everything on the BitTorrent DHD but uh, well uh, there were some little bandwidth issues I would uh, we well I would have needed a big server and something so the idea kind of uh, died but uh, that gave me a bit of uh, experience on like how uh, peer-to-peer software works and everything so that's uh, that's how. Uh, yeah. Well, can you tell me a little bit about? And I, I guess it's actually pronounced Salt, but the uh, the networking and cryptography library that Talks is is sitting on primarily is is this the big piece of functionality here? How does what is the what does this component play? What role does that play? Well, that's the. It's uh, <laughs> that I seriously I I like that crypto I love that crypto library. It's it's very simple to use and everything. And it's very secure. I don't think it talks would have worked without it. <laughs> it's uh, since uh, well, well, talks when talks started, we didn't know uh, what uh, what crypto library we would use. Right. I mean, that seems like a huge so, choice to make, right? Yeah, but then someone suggested it in a thread, and then I looked at it, and I just saw this is perfect. It's simple to use. It's. Uh, it's fast. It's yeah. uh, it's very secure. It protects against all types of uh, at- timing attacks, etc. So that's uh, so we picked that, and I started reading a lot. Okay, so how how do I implement this correctly in talks without the uh, without uh, screwing up things? So I well, read, that was uh, <laughs> my question because I I've heard that I think also the Telegram Messenger program uses the salt library but i guess they maybe i don't know the details but i guess they've implemented it incorrectly have you looked at that situation and and tried to to kind of balance what they did wrong and and adjust accordingly for talks no telegram they they don't use the salt library they use their uh, custom uh, custom uh, crypto implementation Ah. if they would have used the salt library they their crypto would have been fine nobody would be complaining about it right Gotcha. So something that seemed kind of like a big deal, uh, you guys got accepted, the Talks project got accepted into the Google Summer of Code, but you know a lot of people have asked, is that going to influence the project in any way? What about their independence? What are your thoughts on the Summer of Code and what it means for that aspect of the project? Sure, I'll go ahead and answer this. Sure. Well, I think with Google Summer of Code, we're really going to be able to finish a lot of things that we wouldn't have the time to do that due to our prior commitments. We would never be able to do. We would be able to have people who have different skill sets in areas we might not have. It would be able to help out that way. Okay. So, and you know, what about this criticism that people have said, Oh, well, this is a bad sign. This is about influence. What do you think of that? Is, is there, has there been communications from Google about suggestions or anything like that? No, they don't do anything like that. They exist purely to foster the development of open source projects. No secret influences, no link to this secret library, nothing like that. <laughs> no uh, insert go-to-fail line here. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good considering that, uh, you know, there's a lot of hopes riding on a secure messenger. And I got to tell you guys, this is a pretty contested space right now. Um, so I think people are looking for a lot of things to pull out to kind of uh, uh, criticize on. Um and to that end, I think, um, I, and I didn't, I, I, I don't really know if there is something to be worried about here. But a lot of people have criticized that they started as a threat on 4chan. Um, and have you guys dealt with growing pains as a result of that? Well, no. we did start like that, but as we developed, we got people with skill sets from Reddit and all these areas, and right, sort I mean, of nurtured. 
That's exactly. I mean, so when I, I mean, not to interrupt, I'm sorry, but when I, when I, so I've seen this question, it was sent into our show a few times. And to me, it just seems like these are locations that technical people hang out. True. So 4chan specifically, that little area is a lot of trolling. I think it was pure luck that the people who we have now, that all the skills matched up just perfectly. Yeah. Well, I and I and I know I've, I know it's something that's on people's radar, and it maybe seems like one of those things down the road. It, it probably it it probably won't be as big of a factor. But what any other growing pains you guys are seeing as the project is as becoming more aware, people are becoming more aware of it. Not really. Well, uh, there's uh, always a bit of uh, issues, but um, we we we've dealt with them, and it's, yeah. Uh, Good. Well, okay. So uh, that's the big picture stuff. I want to talk a little bit about maybe features and and stuff that Tox is hoping to support down the road. Uh, What are your plans for um, three? There's three major things I've seen requests from the audience. Uh, Conference call setups. Do you guys have any plans to do things like group calls and things like that down the road? Yes. Okay, good. What about multiple presence? As in, I can be logged in on a, on on multiple computers, and the message goes to all locations. Or maybe I'm on my I'm on my Android phone, and I'm also on my laptop, and I want my messages and calls to go to both locations. Is that possible with the security model you're using now? You know, we haven't worked out something like that just yet. We're still working on a lot of our group chats, how we can do audio and video, how we can do things like that. But when the time comes, I know we'll be able to reach that area. Yeah, it's uh, it's possible, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, later after after we've done the TCP stuff, after we've done the the group chats and the yeah. work and uh, well. Later. So is that how you're focusing right now? It seems like the talks clients that I've tried are all text chat based. You get that working, and then is the is the plan to then to get the next set of functionality working, and then the next. Yeah, it's uh, it's how uh, well it, I think it's the best way to develop software to uh, do make a feature, test it correctly, mm-hmm. add another, add another, and uh, that's. Uh, so, what's on your immediate list, and then what's on your sort of after I get this next immediate problem solved, after I get this thing that's bugging me fixed, I really want to start working on. So, what are those two things? Well, we have first. Uh, the thing that I want to finish first, well, that I'm working on right now, is uh, the TCP uh, TCP stuff. So that uh, I want to add uh, TCP relay functionality to Tox uh, nodes, so that uh, people that are behind bad NATs and uh, can uh, <laughs> can also use talks currently talks mm. only works people with that can uh, hold punch through their nats but okay. that's not everyone yeah some people are behind enterprise nats some symmetric nats that are weird and on and block certain uh, like yeah um, they only have a maximum number of udp connections that can well can be a problem because well, Tox yeah. needs to connect <laughs> to a bunch of people for a discovery so, and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. So okay, I, I look at this and I think if Tox was really successful, I, if if you could truly create a Skype replacement that was secure, you would have a system that would be used by by journalists, by dissidents, by the paranoid, and by cheaters, and uh, it would be this these groups of people would fundamentally rely on this technology to be absolutely ironclad solid. Have you considered code audits and and maybe at a certain like quote unquote official release point saying we're going to audit the code, have a third party look at the code? Well, yes, of course, but we want to wait till a lot of our major features are done and talking about what you mentioned earlier, we're designing talks to be something that everyone can use. Someone talking, someone somewhere, I have no idea what I'm saying right now, but long story short, we want to design something that's so fast, so easy, so smooth that people would use it instead of Skype. I mean, we're not going to truly accomplish our goal unless everyone's using this, unless there's nothing that can be spied on, nothing that can be snooped. Security isn't a selling point for end users, but we want to give it to everyone. Hmm. That's an interesting way to put it. I, I... 
I mean, it's definitely is. It's definitely for some, but yeah, you're right. For the general user, it's not really it's not really a big deal. Uh, you know, the only really other question I had sent in from the audience that was kind of kicking around is, uh, how do you guys plan to make money, and are you going to take donations? No, we might take donations. And so Gentoo's been talking about it a bit. So right now, all of our expenses, our build systems, everything comes out of my own pocket, and I haven't really been taking anything in. <laughs> well, you're a good man, SDQ. Uh, uh, so have you considered, like... Uh, a donation system or, or a, like a Kickstarter system or something like that? Um, can you repeat the question? I couldn't hear you. Are you thinking about, are you, are you guys, because the reason I'm asking is we had a few people send in, like Longplay wrote in and asked if uh, you guys would, he wants to send you money, but he couldn't find a way to donate. Are you considering doing a donation model? We might you know, put we, uh, a donation button on the website. Yeah. But, uh, that's because uh, the reason I didn't want donations to, well, us accepting donations at the beginning is, well, what if uh, we we just started and then right, yeah. everything fails and, well, right. people are going to be angry and everything, but, well, we've uh, we've gone a long way from there, so, well, we Maybe. might uh, yeah. put... Uh, That's good. It's good. You know, yeah, you want to make sure you got something that... Uh, you can you can show for before you ask people to start taking money. Well, so I'll open it up to the mumble room and see if there's any questions that the group has. Um, and you guys, if you do, just ping me in the chat room with any questions you have for uh, the folks, and we'll we'll get through those. And the chat room, I'm also checking your questions as as we go. But uh, guys, I want to thank you for coming on Linux Unplugged. It's this project I'm going to be watching. You know, I'm I'm still really interested in picking the mobile messenger of the future. And right now, the Jupiter Broadcasting Network really kind of uses Skype a lot for our shows because at the end of the day it seems to be the the sort of the best combination of deployment and, and ease of use and actual video and audio quality simultaneously i'm really excited about the talks project we talked about it a little bit this last sunday on the linux action show and uh, i demoed a couple of different apps you can use for it it's early days right now uh but uh i i i, I want to encourage you guys to keep going at it keep working at it because this is a space that people are going to be more and more interested over the uh the next couple of years. Crossroads asks, uh, how does this compare to other chat programs, e.g. BT Chat or Tor Chat? And actually, that's a great question. Have you guys seen the, re- the announcement of Tor Chat? And what are your thoughts on that versus Talks? Well, yes, Tor- I... Oh, do you want to? Yeah, I, I can answer. Sure. <laughs> okay. Well, Tor Chat is... Uh, they're going more on the anonymous... Uh, well, they want to make an anonymous chat... But uh, talks is uh, isn't anonymous. You connect directly to the people you're speaking to, because uh, we want performance. Because well, streaming uh, high resolution video through Tor is well doesn't really work well. Uh, that's true, right? Yeah, that's a so, great point. Yeah, I hadn't thought about the video aspect of it. And, and yeah. to reiterate further, yeah, go ahead. I think you. I mean, we're trying to design something that everyone can use, yeah. not just the paranoid. Well, and and to that end, is that why? I mean, I'm seeing a lot of a lot of different Tox clients. There's not like one official Tox client. I guess it would be conceivable that you could have chat programs like Pigeon out there and others that support Tox and TorChat at the same time, right? Yeah, Pigeon for there's a Tox plugin in development already, so it. Uh... It already supports uh, talks. But. Well, very good. That's very interesting, you guys. And uh, I, I'm glad you're working on this, to tell you the truth, because uh, one of my predictions for uh, the the uh, the Linux Action Show for 2014 was that there would be an explosion in secure messaging. So you guys are right now confirming my prediction. So that's awesome for me. Most definitely. <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? Uh, so, you guys, I know, I, I know, you guys probably are not big fans of giving out timelines, but do you have a general, big picture timeline or roadmap of when features will roll out or be available? I can tell you the well, the order at which we're going to roll them out, but timelines are a bit. Uh, <laughs> right, I take that. I'll take order of that you want to roll things out well, for sure. Well, first of all, we're going to roll out the TCP relays. Then after that, we're going to work uh, on the. Uh, fixing our group chats and making audio video work in group chats and well that's the two main that should take uh, a while because they're they're two very big uh, 
features that's they're gonna need lots of testing and everything and after that we're gonna concentrate on well maybe whatever uh, well maybe optimizing code or uh, trying to implement other features like offline messaging and mm. uh, like uh, how someone who wants to be logged in at two computers that we might uh, might work on that it it depends on well what we feel people want the most what they're asking for yeah well let me ask you this what if somebody daredevil making a great question making a great point in our chat room what if what if you uh were uh, you wake up one day you go to slash dot or tech meme or reddit or whatever and you see a top headline new secure messenger launched available on android ios and the desktop um it's it's awesome it's rock solid and you dig through it oh and you see they're charging they're charging for the app and then you'd read through the details and you realize holy crap they're using talks how do you feel about people creating clients or potentially business models on top of a system that you're building today well, the core is licensed under the GPL v3, so they can't take the code and not give uh, the source back. So, well, if someone does take it and improves the source, and if they make money, I don't care if they, uh, because they're improving the software. So, Daredevil, I didn't realize you're in here. Go ahead. And did you have more you wanted to add to that? Daredevil, no? Sorry, yeah. I'm here. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. So what happened is uh, I'm, uh, the reason I got this question is because uh, I was wondering more. Uh, I know it's GPL and people are contributing back, but there's kind of business models that could involve, for example, a company making their own nodes in a way that um, would allow them to mimic users. And I mean, depends of course on the intrinsics of the project, but then goes to something that is. Uh, something uh, a little bit deviated from original tax plans and it goes like it uses stock source code it uses all like uh, the like like uh, bitcoin's litecoin that kind of thing yeah kind of sort of so it, it will be with some differences that would make more uh, a company driven uh, perspective and not actually providing the users direct access so what are the measures in place for you to incentivize people to just come to your project instead of just working doing something crazy that goes completely out of town? Well, if if a company uh, does something like that, well, and users actually use the software from that company, that means they're doing something good. <laughs> so that's because, a win for you. Well, we can always take uh, the code uh, and uh, put it in our th- in our project, <laughs> right? And uh, Oh. <laughs> so, uh, Josh, like go ahead. That's a good point. It's like, okay. Oh, okay. I mean, that's an interesting yeah. way to think about it. Yeah. Like OpenBSD makes SSH and they give it away for people to do whatever they want with. Right. Great point. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's an interesting way to kind of frame that. Uh, Josh, you had a kind of a question more about funding, right? Yes, I did. Um, so you guys talked about maybe monetizing or you know, accepting donations in the future. So what is your opinion on allowing you know, people to back certain features with something like Bounty Source uh, and allow you guys to get paid to like implement certain features like group chats and maybe help speed the process along or provide some sort of monetary incentive? You know, I think something like that really hurts people's trust if something doesn't need a timeline, if something looks like it's easy to do, but it doesn't come up and it ends up taking a lot longer than it should or something, people get disappointed. Hmm. Well, the main issue is that uh, implementing something is uh, relatively easy. Implementing something that's bug-free and works perfectly, that's uh, that's hard. (laughs) So, well, that's... uh, yeah, that's that's an interesting point. Yeah, and you don't. Yeah, I, I it is. It's so it's something to consider. I think because it's really fascinating to really. It truly tells you what what people's priorities are when they assign a dollar value to it in a way that is so much more tangible than than emails and and bug requests and all these things. When people are actually willing to put money down for something, then you really know it's it's literally of a value to them. Uh, so, I, but I do understand you don't want to overset expectations, and you guys seem to be you know. Uh, walking that line pretty closely. Uh, I'm going to take a quick break right here. And when we get back, I want to talk a little bit about maybe 
your thoughts on the future of uh, mobile for talks. But first, speaking of mobile, I want to thank Ting for sponsoring Linux Unplugged. Go to linux.ting.com. Yes, linux.ting.com. That's how awesome Ting is. Now, what is Ting? It's mobile that makes sense, my friend. My mobile service provider and, of course, Matt's mobile service provider. You bet. And Ting has no contracts, no early terminations, and by the way, you only pay for what you use. It's $6, a flat rate every single month, and then just your usage on top of that. Every Ting plan includes hotspot and tethering, so you just go on Android, you just check that box. Every device you buy, you own it, so you're not annotizing that cost over like two years where you're still paying into something that's not nearly worth that. Plus, they have a super awesome dashboard that supports web standards that is while simple to use, extremely powerful, unless you set up a whole bunch of stuff you want for your phone, and they have no-hold customer support. But what I really like about Ting is they're actually good people. They're a good company, they're good people, and they care about their customers. I'll give you an example. Over on their blog, they just posted yesterday six simple steps to save money on your smartphone mobile data. And they go through some of the big apps that a lot of smartphone users use and a lot of the settings that already exist in those most popular apps like YouTube and Google Maps and Chrome and, and um, Facebook and uh, Spotify and Gmail. They have all these different settings you can go through to actually cons- conserve bandwidth to save a little bit of money and they've done posts like this in the past too they talk about opera max for example uh, they've done posts like this in the before on 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 the minute spectrum and this was ting is because the way ting is structured with their with their flat rates and the pay for your usage they they really have a system that allows them to super serve the customer and not try to nickel and dime you like every other carrier does and even the carriers that pretend like they're trying to make a big difference they're actually still nickel and diming you so go over to linux.ting.com that'll save $25 off your first ting device if you already have a device that's compatible with the sprint network well then bring that with you and then ting will take $25 off your bill they'll give you a $25 credit. By the way, they've got an early termination relief program too. And that's awesome because if you have a contract and you know that they're screwing you, you know you want to get out of that contract, you're sick of the BS, all you have to do is grab your Ting device, port your number, and then you submit an ETF claim over to Ting and they'll pay you up to $75 per line that you had to get canceled. And then once you get in there, the savings is crazy. In fact, check out their new savings calculator. They've updated it recently. If you have uh, Verizon or T-Mobile or AT&T, you can plug that in there. It'll go get your bill information for you. If you don't, you can just plug in your data like you normally would. Tell them how many cell phones you got and then they'll tell you how much you would save. It's crazy when you see it because Ting just recently dropped their data rates too. So go over to linux.ting.com to get started. And a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring Linux Unplugged. All right, guys. So how about it? Uh, Any plans for mobile support, uh, a Tox mobile client down the road? Yes. Well, of course. (laughs) You you can't get adopted without support. Right. You need to run everywhere. Yeah. That's like a must-have. So are you going to build that app yourself? No, we already have people building the apps. We have TCP relays need still to be added, but that'll help with a lot of mobile connections. We have apps already done. And there's a Cydia app, and there's an Android app already. Okay. Android doesn't work yet, and the Cydia app needs a special repo, but this is all being done already. We'd love to see that on Ubuntu Touch. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> that would be a really good app, though, right, to have at launch? Um, yeah. Totally. And there's and they'd probably get a lot of exposure, too. Yeah, I know, I know uh, some people within Canonical are very keen on um, uh, selling Ubuntu Touch uh, on, on the fact that it's possible for people to very easily create these kind of secure apps, and we're not somewhat tainted with the the uh three-letter acronym <laughs> companies uh like right uh, poking our users yes uh i know daredevil you had a comment about freelance developers i wanted to let you get that in go ahead yeah um the reason i was talking about freelance developers is even though you guys don't want to com- compromise or commit yourselves to a timeline uh, i guess uh if like it could be a way that um, you allow people to just come around and say, "I want to do this for um, um, just as my freelance gig." If someone wants to, I take the risk of the time and things. Uh, do you still want that, those people to be directly associated with the project? Do they need to contribute the patches uh, on their own in their own branch, and then 
involve uh, later. The reason I'm asking this is because actually I'm pretty fascinated by your project and I've actually gone through two universities and there's quite a lot of papers and I will be interested, but there's business models on top of this. Um, so that's why I kind of had these questions to you. Well, if you want to contribute, just uh, come to our, our IRC channel and uh, tell us uh, that the only problem with uh, contributing a lot of code, for example, the core is that uh, well, core stuff is very uh, touchy. You can't. Uh, it's uh, it has to be uh, well, uh, like there has to be uh, no security bugs, or else well, uh, some uh, blogger is going to destroy us. And, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's so, funny how that happens. Yeah. No. No. But um, I feel you didn't answer my question, sorry, is that, so a developer that I, I want, I have a client, the client wants me to implement something. I, I'm going to be paid for this. So where do I go? Do I go directly to, to try submit to these patches and these uh, b new feature with you? Or do I do it for the client on my own branch and then in, invite them to go uh, meet you once the feature is done? Well, you... Uh... You uh, you come and see us first to see if we have plans to implement a feature like that uh, very soon, so we don't. There's no duplicate work, and then uh, well, uh, you you just work on your feature, or you well, you do whatever you want, and we'll uh, we'll adjust. <laughs> okay. All right. And, and uh, Crash, you wanted to make a point on the sort of the uh, cross-platform adoption we're seeing already, right? Yeah, well, I mean, just talking to the guys in the IRC, um, in the Jupyter Broadcasting IRC before, there was a guy in there saying there's, you know, they're, they're wanting it to run on every platform, like I said, FreeDOS and OS2 and Plan 9 and stuff. But I also noticed that they said it's GPL and the Free Software Foundation actually wanted to pick them up and make them like a Free Software Foundation project. And they said no because they didn't want to sign the FSF CLA purely for the fact that then they could have an iOS client as well, which I thought was a very smart move because the CLA, like there's, it's a good thing in many ways, but um, just doing that so that they can even have a client for iOS, which it, it just makes it more ubiquitous so that everyone can use Tox. Mm, yeah, that's interesting. I, I thank you. Thanks for sharing that. And I know, uh, go ahead, STQ, you wanted to respond? Oh, oh, sorry. I was just testing. I couldn't see my microphone okay. icon, so I was just making sure. Uh, so, Crash, you've been following the project since since the beginning. Did you have any questions you wanted to ask the guys? Uh, well, not not particularly. I was I was actually quite interested um, in what their opinions are of WebRTC as far as the video part, because I thought that might be. I mean, that's more of an idea thing uh -huh. that they might. Yeah. But you know, if if they built a little in, in one of the clients maybe it's a little webkit engine or something that can connect to WebRTC, but I don't know if that's P2P or not, so they might not be they might not work with the goals of the project, but that would be a interesting actually, way to that do kind something. Of, that, uh, that actually uh, kind of dovetails to a question I was gonna ask, what are what are your thoughts at this point, uh, maybe this is probably best for Iron Gen 2, on the actual implementation of video support. Are you looking at things like WebRTC? Are you looking at Codex yet, um, and 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 what how it's going to work, resolutions and all these kinds of things, or is that not? Are you not at that spot yet? Well, uh, audio video uh, already uh, works uh, in the core. It's uh, it's basic, but it works uh, currently. It uses a VP8. Uh, VP9 isn't quite ready, but switching from VP8 to VP9, it's a two two line change in oh, the nice. code. So. Okay. Uh, it's uh, it's not really a, an issue, but uh, yeah. But first, uh, first before developing uh, audio video more, we need to get it into clients because right now no clients really support Earthset. We have uh, our test client that supports it, but that's not enough. We want to get uh, some real testing for it, and once we have some real testing, we can start uh, like maybe adding uh, more stuff to the video. Right now it's very basic. You uh, set the resolution and you, there's, not, there's no uh, congestion control or it's... Uh, hmm. it's 
Yeah, I mean the fact that it's the it's 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 going to be using VP9 down the road, and I actually get to set the resolution already puts it a notch above Skype, my friend. So you're already that's <laughs> yeah, already a good thing. I know Daredevil. I know you had a question, sort of, uh, sort of maybe about the fundamental separation between the core project and the clients, and maybe that would uh, that would sort of get around some of these licensing problems. Yeah, so there is this problem with the CLA for our Free Software Foundation, but the the way I understand the Free Software Foundation CLA actually ensures that even if the Free Software Foundation for some reason goes to bankruptcy or fails, a company that takes over cannot transform the free software, the proprietary software, which at this moment is something that, I mean, I'm not saying that you guys are going to get bought out, but it's possible. And the project will just die from there or go to a different direction. And... I see that if the reason is the iOS client, couldn't just the iOS client be completely separate from the main project and be some something that is just um, kind of it, it can be developed by the same people, just not under the same umbrella? No, unfortunately, everything has to go through our core library to essentially communicate. Well, our core library is GPLv3, meaning the clients would have to be compatible. We've been working on making sure we have the copyright for all of our code so we can selectively assign a dual license for an OSI-compatible license so we can allow support on iOS while still ensuring every client, every library is 100% open source. Aren't you just recreating a CLA, though, if you want to keep the copyright under your umbrella and everything needing to be through you? Basically. All right. Okay. Uh, and one last obligatory question before we wrap up. Uh, you guys, how far along is the Firefox OS version of the Talks Messenger? <laughs> That's like HTML and JavaScript based, right? Yeah, actually, what about a web chat? Is that possible? Is that something you guys are considering? Well, I mean, wow. on Chrome OS, you can use native client. On mm. web apps, you can use native client. I yeah. don't know how you communicate with a C library in Firefox. I, I, uh, guys, I, I mean, I'm, I appreciate the fact this is really the reason why the talks has moved to the top of my list right now is just good desktop support and that promise of replacing Skype. Because uh, as somebody you know in the podcasting space, a lot of podcasters are very dependent on this system, and it has a lot of limitations, and we're not their focus, and and you know just. You know, you joke about it, but really just the the ability to set the video resolution right now is not even an option under Skype. And if you think about some of the major multi-million dollar networks out there, twit, that are relying on Skype mm-hmm. to do video production, and you can't even set the video resolution. And and that's aside from all of the massive security problems that Skype now has. Thank you, Microsoft. And also just the, you know, it's a compromised, it's a compromised piece of software. People DDoS, Skype nicks for, for joy all the time. And it's, it's completely just messed up. So I, I'm watching talks with a lot of interest, you guys. So thank you very much for coming on the show today and chatting with us. Before we run, I wanted to just get a, a question out there. And uh, it was, I, I got it in from uh, Scott. He said, hey, guys. I want to express a growing concern I have held for the past decade with open source software and the recent activity things and going ons in the Linux community right now. Examples are Firefox putting ads in, Steam bringing DRM games to Linux, NVIDIA proprietary drivers exploding in popularity, etc. Linux is always touted as being a free and open system, but are we moving into an era when less and less is free? When I talk about free, I mean as in freedom. The reason I bring this up is because you are very positive of Steam coming to Linux. Hmm. He says, uh, in many Linux groups, however, I think some of the sentiment is opposite. I'm good with paying money for legitimate software, but will the future hold me paying for software that is not open source? Do you think as Linux gets more popular and more big players come into the arena, that the whole open source notion is kind of just a nice dream? Love to hear what you think. Scott, anybody in the uh, mumble room have strong thoughts on this? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I do. If, um, in my opinion, anyway... Uh, <laughs> As long as the core components of Linux remain free, so uh, as long as like the kernel and all the um, intrinsic parts of Linux remain free, that's all that matters. It's fine if people want to put proprietary software like games on Linux, but as long as the core components stay free, it's fine. What do you think, Riley? Yes, this is why there's still things like Trisco Linux and official Free Software Foundation distros. 
So if you're not concerned about it, just use that and leave everybody else alone. Wow. Get off my lawn is essentially what Riley is saying. Uh, I, exactly. I think what you know Scott is kind of saying here is he's worried about the groupthink uh, syndrome where we all kind of just, you know, as a group decide that uh, sort of allowing this encroaching um, intrusions on freedom is okay. And so, well, it's just our video driver. Well, I really need good Wi-Fi. Okay, well, this video game costs them a lot of money to make. And we keep rationalizing it. And every single time we rationalize it to 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 some sort of group consensus, and we all just kind of collectively give up on that particular thing instead of holding the hardware vendors to actually making an open source GPU driver and things like that. So I I actually think what Scott's bringing up is something that we all have to just stay vigilant on. And I don't think it means that we stop playing Steam games, but at the same time, it, I look at it from like a business standpoint and I say, okay, well, core infrastructure components for sustainability, for long-term predictability, and for transparency, those just have to be open source. All other things aside, freedom aside, just if I'm going, if my business is going to rely on this technology, I need to be able to know where the hell that technology is going. And if the person making that technology disappears or gets burnt out, at least I can fork it and keep it running myself. That's why people who have their entire, uh, you know, like server infrastructure or desktop system dependent on Apple, man, that would make me stay up at night because you never know what Apple's going to do next. Are they going to kill the Mac Mini? Are they going to drop the Ethernet port? Are they going to release? Uh, iOS for the desktop, it would drive me crazy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Are they going to drop? <laughs> are they going to drop all PCI Express expandability and internal storage? Like you just never know. Whereas with open technology, you at least have the mailing list, you have the roadmap, and you have that almighty fork. And I think for core infrastructure technology, and that's uh, you know, you could argue with the GPU driver, and that's one of the reasons I've been eyeballing Ultra Pro because I kind of like the idea of getting an Iris. GPU just to make one more component less dependent on some upstream vendor, uh, but I I think there's there it is appropriate and I believe it is rational, even with all of that considered, to make exceptions and 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 where certain practical matters come in like in some cases video editing or in some cases video games, you, you know I think commercial can be accepted. I mean Matt, this is probably something you've struggled with for a long time. Where do you fall down? You know, I think at the end of the day, it comes down to the point you were making about core components and that sort of thing. I think as long as it stays out of the kitchen as far as getting really deep into stuff, I don't think this is really such an issue. Because for years, there's always been the concern of this becoming a major, major catastrophe. And, oh, my God, it's the end of Linux as we know it because of this and that and the other thing. As as long as we have distributions that are able to maintain those core components pure, um, you know, if one distro wants to go south with something, that's their business. That really, I, I don't see it as being a big problem, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I really don't. Yeah, and it's kind of it's come and gone over the years. Like in some yeah. ways, it's actually gotten better. Like there's a lot. It these days, a lot of systems actually have a lot less binary blobs powering that hardware. True. I mean, there's still a few, you know. But there was a time when um, I got a Red Hat. Jeez, I mean, it was. I think it was back before Fedora Core was even a thing. So I want to say like Red Hat Six. And I had a binary driver for the Adaptech or some sort of SCSI controller. I had a binary driver for the network card because it was a special network card to communicate mm-hmm. with an IBM System 390 mainframe, right? And, and, and then it ran on top of it a proprietary management software to monitor and manage it, which has now been completely replaced with things like Puppet. Uh, and so in some ways, while we have Steam and we have NVIDIA binary drivers, in other ways, we are actually working with a lot more free software and as as the technology landscape moves forward and there's less entrenched interest in these certain areas like there used to be a big market around creating server scuzzy adapters and you would you know you wouldn't even you wouldn't even use the adapter that came with the with the with the box on the motherboard you'd never use that you'd you'd always <laughs> use an external adapter and you know you'd have to have the driver and you'd have to build the module for that version of your kernel you couldn't update your kernel and that you know you were really stuck and that's not even a problem anymore now now those guys work directly with upstream and those drivers ship with the kernel and they're open source and it's just you don't even you don't have to worry about it the drives just show up now to your system and you know you kids don't even have to you don't even appreciate where us old farts used to have to deal with so in a lot of ways Scott I actually think it's gotten a lot better too i think we are always looking at the individual trees but if you were to fly up like superman above that forest you'd see that a lot of it actually isn't that bad that's my take on it 
All right, Matt. Well, so uh, we're going to wrap up here uh, on Linux right. Unplugged. Thank you uh, big time to the uh, Talks developers for joining us today. Yeah. It was a very fascinating chat and good to get their perspective on some of the things and kind of get an idea where they're going. Uh, look, on Sunday on the Linux Action Show, I'm going to review that Chromebook, that uh, Acer C720, and I'm going to try to answer the question, can a Chromebook running Linux, not Chrome OS, but actual full-fledged Linux, can you get decent battery life? What's the performance like, and is it actually something that's worth spending money on, or should you just stick with Chrome OS or maybe get a tablet, something like that? We'll try to answer those questions on Sunday. If you've got any questions, feel free to send them in. We can start a thread over at linuxactionshow.reddit.com. You can post them there. And uh, we'll try to get to those questions in Sunday's Linux Action Show. All right, Matt, we'll have a great week, okay? You too. I'll see you on Sunday. And thank you, everyone, for tuning this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. If we don't see you on Sunday for the Linux Action Show, I hope we'll see you right back here next Tuesday. Bye-bye.